Good morning. You know, we're entering the season of Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's supposed to be a season of joy, but it's surprising how many people don't experience joy. And uh, this week I've been reading a book by David Jeremiah. Anybody ever heard of him? Uh, a Life Beyond Amazing. And just so happens, as we are talking about being an overcomer, and looking at John 14, 15, 16, as Jesus was talking to his disciples about what it means to be an overcomer, and that in this world you'll have many troubles, but he said, fear not, I've overcome the world. John 16, 33. Then we've been looking at John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer where he's praying and he's talking to the Father and he's asking God to help these followers of his then as well as today because he says, I pray not only for them but also for those who will believe in me because of their testimony. So he's talking about us too and he's beginning to pray for us and we talked about how the first thing he asked for was that God would be glorified in our lives. And last week we talked about how uh, Jesus prayed that God would keep us uh, from the evil one. And then today I want you to look at verse uh, John 17 and look at verse 13. Actually, last week we talked about unity. Verse 11, you've given me that they may be one as we are. But look at verse 13. Now he's asking the Holy Spirit, he's asking God the Father. He said, now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy... My joy fulfilled in themselves. You know, it's the will of God for you and I to experience joy in our lives. Jesus prays that we might have joy. He even told the disciples back in chapter 15, he said, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You know why I think many Christians don't experience or many people don't experience joy? Because they're looking for happiness. And happiness and joy are two different things. You see, happiness is an emotion. It's a feeling that when things are happening around us that are fun and good, we feel good. But when things around us are not happening so good, we feel bad. And so we think that that's why we don't experience joy. You know, as David Jeremiah said, many Christians have the righteousness part down and maybe even the peace part down, but they're clueless when it comes to joy. And many Christians, instead of enjoying the Christian life, seem only to endure it. Are you just enduring the Christian life? Are you really enjoying it? I hope you're enjoying it. David knew the joy of the Lord, but something came in his life that caused him to miss out for a period of time, and it was called sin. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he had to be confronted with his sin by a prophet. And then he confessed his sin, and he asked the Lord to cleanse him of his sin. And then he prayed, he said, Lord, restore to me the joy of of your salvation. I believe that probably ought to be the prayer of everybody here this morning. Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Can you lose it? Or can you just 
slip away from it? I don't really know. But I know there have been times in my own life where I haven't felt, again, the word feel, joyful. And I've let other things in my life that, that uh, distract me and keep me from experiencing the joy of the Lord. And I've had to pray that many times, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know, in Acts chapter 16, we find two men, Paul and Silas. And see, a lot of times we think we can have joy when all of our families gathered around the Thanksgiving table and we got a big feast in front of us and everybody's happy. We've had a great life this past year and, and we can just look back and count the many blessings and, and all of that. And we've got all our family around the table and we're about to have the blessing and we go around the table and thank God for all these things and we should and we think that's what joy looks like but then you then something enters into that family that's unexpected that's bad news and then it like kills the joy is that truly joy then what we were experiencing before or was that just happiness happiness is about what happens to you but joy is not dependent on our circumstances. It's not dependent on our behaviors or our attitude. Our joy is dependent on something else. It's the kind of joy that Paul and Silas had in that Philippian jail as they had been arrested and beaten and now shackled hand and foot behind prison bars for preaching the gospel. And instead of whining and complaining and moaning and groaning, what are they doing? They are singing. That's the kind of joy I want in my heart. Isn't that the kind of joy you want? When bad things happen, you still feel like singing. Is that possible or is that ridiculous? Most of us think that's ridiculous. I'm honest. Let's be honest. You think that's ridiculous. It's not possible to, to have bad things happen in your life and still feel like singing and being joyful. But you know, if, if it's in the scriptures, and Jesus says that his joy can be fulfilled in us, and we see people like Paul and Silas singing, then indeed it is possible. Paul said it this in Philippians 4, 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord sometimes, and again I say rejoice. Right? What does it say? Rejoice in the Lord. When? How many of you would say, that's been the testimony of my life. I've always rejoiced in the Lord, good, bad, and ugly. Why not? Now let me ask you this. If God said it, is it possible? It's possible. If, it, if God said it and it's possible, do you want it? I do too. By using words like rejoice, and I'm quoting um, Philip Yancey that David Jeremiah quoted in this book that I've been reading. He said, by using words like rejoice, the apostles were not advocating a spirit of grin and bear it or act like nothing happened. Nor is there any masochistic hint of enjoying pain. Rejoicing in suffering does not mean that Christians should act happy about tragedy and pain when they feel like crying. Rather, the Bible aims the spotlight on the end result, the productive use God can make of suffering in our lives. 
So I wanted to share with you, as, as David Jeremiah highlighted in this book, and I think the timing was perfect for my, where we're preaching and, and, and where, I'm, where I've been preaching, where you're listening, where I've been preaching, and, and me reading that book. And it's like, I just want to highlight some of these things for you because I, I believe it's in the providence of God that we share this. At this time of the year, at Thanksgiving, at Christmas, when everybody's supposed to be joyful and happy, but many people have had terrible things happen in their lives, and joy seems to be elusive. And they're struggling to find something to be thankful for. So I wanted to share with you some keys to true joy. First of all, at the center of joy, the kind of joy that God promises is Jesus Christ himself. Christian joy is letting Christ live out his life through you so that what he is, you become. Again, that's something that David Jeremiah pointed out in his book. He said it's only through our relationship to the Lord that we experience joy. We may not be able to rejoice in our load, but we can rejoice in the Lord. Let's go back to Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice where? In the Lord. How often? Always. Is God always good? Are your circumstances always good? No. But he didn't say rejoice in your circumstances always. He said rejoice in the Lord always. And God is always good. He's always loving. He's always patient. Always kind. He's always merciful. Always forgiving. Always loving me. And I can always rejoice in Him. Amen? If I can find nothing else to rejoice about, I can rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord means we rejoice in that unchanging relationship we have with Him. David Jeremiah relates a story about a headmaster at a boarding school in, in London. He said one of his students once remarked that he thought the headmaster went to heaven every night because every morning when he saw him, he had such a wonderful smile on his face. And that student figures the only place you could get that kind of joy was by checking into heaven at the end of every day. One day the headmaster was asked, why was he filled with such joy? And his response was, Joy is the flag flown from the castle of your heart when the king is in residence there. Joy is the flag that they raise when the king, you know, that's what happens. When the king leaves the castle, the flag comes down. When the king moves back in, the flag goes up. How do people know that you belong to the king if there's not joy evidenced in your life? You see, joy is an attractant. It draws people to Christ. Men have pursued joy in every avenue imaginable. Some have unsuccessfully found joy. I'm sorry, some have successfully found joy while others have not. Perhaps it might be easier to describe for you where joy cannot be found. It cannot be found in unbelief. Voltaire was an infidel of the most pronounced type. And he wrote, I wish I'd never been born. It's not found in pleasure. Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure. And he wrote, the worm, the canker, and, the, and grief are mine alone. It's not found in money. Jay Gould, the American millionaire, had plenty of money. And when he died, he said, I suppose, or before he died, he said, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on earth. 
Joy isn't found in position or fame or popularity. Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed more than his share of both fame and position, and he wrote, Youth is a mistake, manhood is a struggle, old age is a regret. No joy. Not found in military glory. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day, and having done so, he wept in his tent before he said, There are no more worlds to conquer. Where then is real joy to be found? It's found in Christ Jesus alone. Christ, your relationship to Him, that's where joy is found. It's not found outside of that. It's found in the context of your relationship with Jesus Christ, which includes the Holy Spirit. You see, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. One of the reasons many are not experiencing the joy of the Lord is they're not allowing the Holy Spirit control of their lives. Romans 14, 17, the Bible tells us that, that the, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Well, that's not maybe the right time of year for us to say that. We probably won't read that this Thursday. <laughs> but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces joy in our lives when we surrender to Him. When we are filled with the Spirit, we are filled with joy. Same with all the other fruits. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. All of those, when we yield to the Holy Spirit, He produces that joy that's in our hearts. So the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit is a key to joy. Another key is... Or another avenue to joy is through the Word of God. This is what we've been talking about too. A few weeks ago, I asked you to make a commitment to the Word of God. And to be reading it more frequently. Listen to what the Bible says in Jeremiah 15, or what Jeremiah said about the Scriptures in chapter 15 and verse 16. Jeremiah said, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. There's more, do you know the Bible has more than 400 references to joy? And reading God's Word and hearing God speak to you from His Word produces immeasurable joy. When you're opening the Scriptures and, and you're looking for a word from God and, and, the, and the words just leap off the page and grip your heart or touch your heart or comfort you or speak to something that you're going through, you can't explain the joy that you feel. Even if it's a word of conviction, you say, it's joy because you feel God speaking to you. I want you to turn to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. I read this Wednesday night, and I'm going to read it again because I love this chapter, and you're going to see why. Nehemiah chapter 8. You know, Nehemiah uh, had, was in captivity and, uh, in Babylon, and he got word that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down, and 
And uh, he asked permission of the king to go back and rebuild the walls. And then Ezra went back also. Now Ezra was responsible for helping reestablish the worship of God in the temple. Uh, and so here's what happens. These two guys get together. It says in verse 5 of chapter 8, Ezra opened the book. Now what book was he talking about? It wasn't Reader's Digest. It was the book of the law. We see that in the very beginning of this chapter. And it says, He was standing above all the people when he opened it, and all the people stood up. There was a reverence for God's word. And Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And what I reminded our folks here Wednesday night was that there was not a song sung. But there were hands being raised. There were people worshiping simply at the reading of God's word. Because it produced in them a joy unspeakable. Look what he says here in verse 7. I'm not going to read all those names. But those, the, all these men helped the people understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book of the law, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. So basically what's happening here is they're reading it, and they're explaining it as they go. And it says in verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. There's a good verse for Thanksgiving. Eat what you want, but make sure there are people who don't have enough that you're sharing with them. And he says, Don't sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it says in verse 13, verse 12, And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions, and rejoiced greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. There was joy over the Word of God. You want more joy in your life? Get in the Word. Get in the Scriptures. I received a sweet text this week from one of our young ladies in our congregation. Just rejoicing that she had been able to spend more time in the Word lately. And the joy that it was producing in her heart, in her life. You want more joy? Get in the Word. Reading, hearing, and obeying the Word of God gives the Holy Spirit something to work with. To produce the joy in your life. Prayer is another path to true joy in the Lord. Look at John chapter 16. We're, we're, that's our text, John 14, 15, 16, look what Jesus said in John 16, 24 about joy in prayer. John 16, 24, Jesus said, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Prayer and joy are, are linked. You want more joy? Then, then spend more time with the Lord in prayer and asking for the things that, God, that you know God wants to give you. Ask for things that maybe you're unsure of, but you think you need. Ask and watch that when God provides, what joy it produces in your life. Man, there have been time and time and time and time again. Tana and our family, we've had need, and we brought that need to the Lord, and the Lord supplied that need, and it's produced great joy in our hearts to realize, hey, God's listening, and He loves us, and He provides for us. It produces joy. Joy. 
And then lastly, giving you some keys to joy is, is keep in mind the promise of eternal life. Remember what we're, our outline, remember, resolve, and we're still talking about resolving. And one of the things we need to remember from way long time ago, we talked about remember that this world is not our home. One of the keys to overcoming is remembering that this is not our home. And so when bad things begin to happen in our lives, it's just a reminder this isn't our home. We don't belong here. We are passing through, and some of us are passing through more quickly than others. We are perishing in this world. It says the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man can be renewed day by day. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit wants to remind us day after day that this is not our home. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, or listen to Hebrews 12, 2. Jesus, the testimony of Jesus, it says, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Endured the cross. What was the cross for Jesus? It was death, wasn't it? It was more than death. It was becoming sin. That which he was not, he had to become. The cross was despised. It was despicable. It was something that he prayed to be released from in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he had to endure it. And it says, how did he endure it? By looking to the joy that was to come. We need to remember that this is not our home. We're reminded of it every day. Disease, death, problems, heartache, temptation is rem are reminders that there is a greater place. In Hebrews chapter 11, talking about the great men and women of faith, said all of these died in the faith, not having received the promises. He says there in verse 14, but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. They looked for a better place. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Remember John 14, verse 1. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. 1 Peter chapter 4 Verse 12 and 13, Paul said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also be glad with exceeding joy. See, there's a day coming when all of our sorrows and tears and sufferings and joys are going to be wiped away. Jesus said in Revelation 21, Behold, I make all things new. I will wipe every tear from your eye. There will be no more sorrow, no more pain. Nothing will enter in that defiles. There will be no more sin. I make all things new. As a third century man was anticipating death, he penned these last words to a friend. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. 
They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I'm one of them. David Jeremiah asked this question in his book, How do you find authentic? Authentic. Not just professing, authentic Christians. If you were going looking for an authentic Christian, how would you find one? He answers that question, they will be the joyful ones. Richard Wormbrand was a pastor in Romania during the years of communist oppression. Had to, their churches had to meet underground, not literally underground, but behind the scenes, under the radar. But many times those churches were, uh, all the time, those churches were persecuted. The uh, secret police would rush in, arrest everybody there, drag them to jail. Richard Wormbrand, as a pastor, spent many years and months in jail being tortured, physically tortured, beaten, all kinds of torture he had to endure. And here's what he said. He said, I've only found True joy in two places. And he said, not just, he's not talking just about him personally. He's talking about, I've only seen it in others in two places. The underground church and the prison cell. That goes back to Philippians, Paul and Silas in jail. And I wonder about myself. And I honestly don't really want to find out. But would I have joy in those circumstances? William Barclay said the Christian is a person of joy. A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. And he said... And nothing in all religious history has done Christianity more harm than its black clothes and long faces. Joy is both attractive and contagious. It draws people in and infects them with this blessed epidemic. We have every reason to be joyful. Every reason to be joyful. And joy is not an emotion. It is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. A conference at a Presbyterian church in Omaha, people were given a helium-filled balloon. And they were told to release them at some point in the service when they felt like expressing joy in their hearts. Well, they were Presbyterians. And we, we give them a close run for their money as far as being so prim and proper. They didn't feel free to say, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Amen! So letting a balloon go, they could probably handle that. And all through the service, balloons ascended to the ceiling. But when the service was over, there were still one-third of the balloons held in people's hands. I know you wondered why I came to this pulpit with a balloon in my hand. 
This balloon represents every reason I have to not be joyful. The death of my sister at 51. The death of my mother. The sad life that both of my sisters have had to endure. I could go on. I could think of the trials and tribulations that I've had in my life. They don't compare maybe to yours. Yours are different. But I'm hanging on to those things. And somehow it, there are people that it makes them feel somehow okay to hang on to pain, heartache, bitterness, resentment, or maybe some pet sin that you think you can't beat. But I've realized this week and the last several years of my life that um, I can't hang on to those things and have joy at the same time. I never really thought much that I was a worrier. I never really thought much about fear when I was growing up. My daddy used to say, son, you have no concept of danger. I lived with an elderly gentleman who was a retired preacher. He said, boy, you, tr you tread where angels fear to trod. And I don't know if that was a compliment or a rebuke, but I had no fear, no fear. Then I got married and became a father. And I became responsible for other people's lives making sure they were fed and clothed and the bills were paid. Then I began to understand worry and fear and doubt. Will God really provide? And then when sicknesses and diseases started happening in our family, then I began to understand sorrow and grief. And all of those things you can hang on to. You're not going to ever stop feeling some of those things, but as long as you hang on to them, thinking that that's what your life is made up of, you will not have joy. You see, joy comes when we let go of the balloon and we embrace Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of our joy. So I want to challenge you this morning. I know, I don't pretend that your life is easy. I don't pretend that your life is all smiles and ice cream. But you've got to let go of the pain, the bitterness, the sin, all of that in order to embrace Christ with both hands. You see, while I was preaching this morning, you were distracted, weren't you? What were you distracted by? That silly balloon. Didn't bother me a bit. You know why? Because I got used to it. And that's what happens. Is with your pain, you start getting used to it. You get so accustomed to it that you find it hard to let it go. 
You think it's a part of your life, that bitterness, that resentment, or that pet sin, or whatever it is, you think you can't let go, and you become accustomed to it. But it's a distraction to other people seeing Jesus in you. You see, some of you couldn't concentrate on what I was saying because you're wondering, what is he doing with that balloon? That's the way it happens when other people see, you say you're a Christian, but yet you live such a gloomy, depressed life. That's a distraction. They can't see Christ. But when they can see that all that you're going through is terrible, how could you possibly have so much joy and smile all the time and and be at peace? How is that possible? And you have an opportunity to explain it's only because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. My life is no different than your life. It's full of pain just as your life is. But, praise God, I have Jesus. See, that's the testimony the world is dying to hear. They need to know that there's hope, that there's something beyond, something more, something deeper to live for. And we give them that by representing Jesus Christ and the joy that only He can give. So, dear friends, let go of your balloons. Let them go. Your worries, your fears, your doubts, your sorrows, your pain, your bitterness, your sin, let it go. And embrace fully Jesus Christ. You may have to spend some time in prayer. It may be a process. But you have to let go of that balloon. Let it go. Would you bow with me? Would you pray? Would you ask the Lord right now?